0: We have presses out back that are over 35 years old that are running, you know, 24/7, right? That have no issues whatsoever. So, how do you get Industry 4.0 on those? You have to have retrofit it, right? And when you retrofit it, you're going to be cobbling together, in, in some sense, the, the data part of it, right? Right. So now you're gonna...
1: you're listening to Making It in Ontario, the official podcast of the Trillium Network for Advanced Manufacturing. Yes, hello and welcome to Making It in Ontario, the official podcast of the Trillium Network for Advanced Manufacturing. Not to be confused with those unofficial podcasts, because they are terrible. Anyway, in today's episode, Shannon and I sat down with Max Preston and Robert Graup to discuss a topic of seemingly endless complexity, Industry 4.0, the big digital black box that can answer all your questions and solve all your problems if... And this is the big if you know what questions to ask and you know how to ask them and you know who should be asking them if this sounds like the plot of a really bad sci-fi movie consider yourself lucky because for a lot of ontario manufacturers this is actually a very real problem many of them have spent many meetings analyzing enormous amounts of data trying to solve this issue and it's not easy As many manufacturers have come to learn, you can't simply ask your Industry 4.0 box to find efficiencies. There's no setting called efficiency mode. And by the way, there's also no Industry 4.0 box. So what is it? What is Industry 4.0? Well, between Max and Robert, we're going to get a very fulsome perspective. Robert is the tool room manager from Intex Tooling Technologies. And with him, he brings over 40 years of tooling industry experience to the conversation. And after all, Robert and Intex are exactly the kind of companies and managers that Industry 4.0 is supposed to be providing all these benefits for. He gives us his insights on that reality. And Max is the general manager of Smart Attend, an Industry 4.0 solutions provider created by the Axiom Group for their shop floor. A product which is now being sold to other manufacturers, like Intex Tooling Technologies. The story of Axiom and Smart Attend is an interesting one because it's the story of a company's struggle with extracting the promised gains from Industry 4.0 and what they did to go out and get them. Their solution worked so well that it's now being sold to companies so they too can reap the benefits. Everyone in our ecosystem of advanced manufacturing knows Industry 4.0. It's the next big thing, Right the next big thing in manufacturing it's going to save money it's going to save time it's going to find efficiencies that no mere mortal could ever think of and also give Ontario that competitive edge it needs to help it compete in KUSMA everyone's been saying this I've been saying this but as our discussion with Max and Robert will show it's not that simple like all other tools it's only as good as the craftsperson wielding it industry 4.0 is one of the most powerful tools that modern manufacturers have ever had access to. It centralizes data collection and makes data analytics easier than ever. But as Robert points out, the old guard has a lot of catching up to do. And while data collection has never been as easy or effective, the answers one gets are determined by the questions one asks. Max makes the comparison to motor racing. Most modern race cars have so much telemetry coming off them that often the pit engineer has a better picture of what the vehicle dynamics are than the driver does. But if you're looking to shed seconds off lap times, you first need to understand where the problem is before you start looking at data. The example Max gives is if your driver is constantly braking 10 feet too early, you don't really need to know the fuel-air mixture. If that's your problem, the fuel-air mixture has no bearing on your reality. Fall down that rabbit hole, and you risk succumbing to paralysis by analysis. Extracting data, analyzing data, and applying the lessons learned from that data are three very different aspects of Industry 4.0. We chatted about a lot, but there was also a bunch that we didn't get to chat about, and a bunch of things we discussed when the mics were off, so to make sure we tell as much of this story as possible, we decided to do a profile on Axiom and Smart Attend, which is either available on our website right now or will be shortly. We encourage you to read it. In my opinion, their biggest advantage is that they've had their eyes on the future for a while now, and have some excellent notes on how to best turn data into usable knowledge as a sound engineer i'd liken it to separating the signal from the noise and axiom seems to operate with very little noise so let's see how they're making it in ontario yeah, so i'm yeah we're rolling now and uh we are in axiom's boardroom and we are speaking with gentlemen please introduce yourselves
0: yeah, so I'll go first, uh, Mr. Grop. So my name is Max Preston. I'm the general manager of Smart Attend. Smart Attend is a industry 4.0 systems design and engineering company based out of Ontario, Canada, and it was founded right here at 115 Mary Street in Axiom Group. We will go through the story of its inception momentarily, uh, but that's for me, Mr. Robert.
2: Morning, everyone. It's uh, Robert Group here, um, manager at uh, Intex Tooling Division. Um, it's a plastic injection mold uh, manufacturing facility that falls under the Axiom Group umbrella.
1: Wonderful. And we are also joined again.
3: I'm Shannon. I'm a program officer at the Trillium Network for Advanced Manufacturing.
1: Wonderful. So to everyone, thank you. Uh, thanks for having us. Thanks for hosting us, um, especially during this, uh, you know, during the COVID-19 reality that we're all in. Uh, so these con- these in-person conversations are greatly appreciated. Uh, so yeah, today we are here to talk about Industry 4.0, the good stuff, the bad stuff, the complicated stuff, all the stuff. So Max, I, I came to know you originally through your work with Axiom and uh, the, the incredible stuff that, uh, that Axiom does in terms of production, in terms of quality control, in terms of all of that stuff. And uh, and then I found out about Smart Attend. So rather than uh, putting words in your mouth, why don't I let you uh, tell us the story? And
0: Yeah, ab- absolutely. So, yeah, Nick, uh, thanks for coming, guys. And I mean, this is a, this is always a fun story for me to tell because it's got a little bit of zaniness to it, a little wackiness to it and a little bit of that good old Canadian entrepreneurial spirit right behind it all. So nice. One of the one of the things that uh, this company, Axiom Group, does very, very well, in my opinion, uniquely in this industry is we have a very much a let's go get it ourselves kind of attitude, right? Uh, And I'm going to use two examples before I get into the story of Smart to identify that and identify the thought process that our company president and and CEO, Perry Rizzo, uh, has bred into this company. We're very much a company that likes to do things our way. And if there's a solution out there that we need, a lot of the times we challenge ourselves to actually build that solution ourselves, right? Because we believe that... Uh, experience you know is gained through those engineering challenges the experience is gained through overcoming those obstacles that we ourselves run into whether it's an obstacle from the public whether it's an obstacle from customers whether it's an obstacle from government regulatory systems or whether it's just an obstacle that our that we ourselves identified for ourselves to overcome right so there is two good examples I'd like to tell before I get into the smart attend story and it's very much the attitude of Why don't we just make it ourselves? If we have an idea, why don't we just try and see what happens, right? And so the first idea of that was something called the uh, light shapes. And the light shapes was a decorative commercial Christmas light that was entirely designed, manufactured, and engineered entirely here at Axiom. And it was the idea of uh, Perry Rizzo at the time to go and have a, a Christmas light that could be sold commercially or residentially through uh online uh retail or through uh, canadian tire and the idea really was you know perry wanted to decorate the office building but he couldn't find a good solution out there Hmm. so what did he do he made one so he made one exactly (laughs) he took the napkin with the drawing to the engineers and said make this wow right and they did and so we sold that product uh for a number of years this was going back to 2003 like quite a while was this called again the light shapes the light shapes. light shapes yeah the website uh, if anyone has a, a google sleuth i'm sure they can still find it nice but uh, uh the second example is even more interesting it's called the thermopod lunchbox so perry ran into a problem right at home he was sick and tired of packing four different lunch bags per kid right so you've got the soup lunch bag that keeps the soup hot you've got the sandwich lunch bag that keeps the sandwich cold and you've got, you know, the, the orange peels and the slices. Either way, you have basically two different variants of temperature. You've got something that's got to stay hot, something that's got to stay cold. Uh, so what do you do? You get 50 different thermoses together. You pile in different lunch sandwich bags together. And you make a cobbled together, you know, pick-apart lunch that's full of different bags. Perry hated that. What did Perry do? Took a napkin, scribbled on the napkin, had an idea, brought it to the engineer, said, make this. And it was the thermopod Lunchbox. It was a injection molded lunchbox that had one common container and a thermogel inside of it that would keep your soup cold, your soup hot and your sandwich cold all in one common compartment. And it was sold online and it had a major sale go in London Drugs over out uh, west closer towards uh, British Columbia. And this was a product, again, completely manufactured, completely engineered and completely sold right here at Axiom Group. An automotive uh, plastics manufacturer that supplies OEMs in tier one and tier twos. Now we're making Christmas lights and lunchboxes, right? So, so you guys
1: have a history of pivoting.
0: Yes, we do. Very much so, right? And every example, every division of Axiom Group is another example of the pivot, right? Even Intex Tooling is another example of the pivot, which is, can we provide a service to our customers uh, at a better rate, at a better quality, and uh, and with vertical integration more than our competitors can? That's the story of Intex, right? But back to Smart So Smart was another example of this. But this example was... Anith Pathmanathan, at the time our production manager, wanted to come. You know, went to Perry and said, "Perry, I'm sick and tired of coming to the shop and expecting my machines to run all night long, and they stopped at three a.m. and no one did anything about it. And I'm even more sick and tired of finding this out and chasing, as I call chasing ghosts. I come in and I have to spend two hours trying to figure out what went wrong. Right? And what What year was this happening? So this was 2015. Okay. Yeah, so this was around 2014, 2015. So uh, Aneth basically said, I want to know how my machines ran before I walked in through that front door in the morning. And that statement was the, you know, as Perry calls it, the genesis of SmartAttend. That was what really kicked it off. And by the time I joined the company, which was in April of 2016, uh smart Attend at that point was basically a WD-40 can with some LEDs wrapped around it. Uh, <laughs> no nice. software, right? But the, the pieces were in motion, and Aneth and Perry uh, patented the original design. This thing was on wheels originally <laughs> before it shrunk down to the, basically the size of a smartphone it is now. Mm-hmm. But uh, they came up with the design, and when I joined the company, I was charged with coming up with how to sell this crazy looking you know idea in this this product that didn't actually exist quite yet so it was just that's really you know the story of how a smart 10 started
1: so in my head i mean i i would imagine that knowing how the machines are running overnight is kind of that would i'd imagine that's day one stuff
0: yeah it is the problem is is that when it shuts down you have a very limited time frame for how much the damage is going to cascade right and at the end of the day We run a lean shop here, right? We're a just in time manufacturing facility. So, what that means is, you know, we have machines that are light out that run on their own. They don't need an operator there, they don't need, you know, someone watching over it. It can just run on it by itself, right? That's fine. Uh, and that is very regular and happens, but the problem happens is that when that machine stops for whatever reason, right? And it takes someone an hour, two hours, three hours, whatever the issue may be, there's lots of complications behind it. But the fact of the matter is, is that every minute that goes by that that presses down is a minute that you have to make up somewhere else, right? And that minute could be putting your parts on a private jet and expediting them across the world at a rate of forty, fifty thousand dollars 50000 just because of one hour got missed somewhere, right? And so it is day one stuff, but fixing that problem is very, very challenging and difficult, right? Because a number of things can happen. A component could break because it was humid for two weeks longer that month than it was you know, any other time period. And It's just the hydraulics wore down, the seals broke, whatever. Things happen, right? And so it's about being able to attend to that problem as fast as possible. And that's the name of smart attend was that when this issue occurs, how do we attend to it uh, intelligently? How do we know the problem? How do we know how to fix it before we even can see the machine? And that is why we first started building the smartphone application side of it. It's because the idea of when a machine goes down, if I'm in a, if I'm on an airplane flying to Mexico, or if Anna is driving to Windsor, at the end of the day, when that phone buzzes, that's saying smart now is saying machine 17 is running out of material. Please go and refill the material in this press before you have to go through another three hour long startup procedure. The value in that is really astronomically important for us as a company, right? Because with the competitive global atmosphere that we're dealing with right now, in my opinion, Canada does not have a big enough focus on new technology acquisition in this space, specifically regarding industry 4.0. Uh, what we're trying to do right now is we're trying to provide that value to our customers by saying we can get to it quicker, we can get to it cheaper, we can get to it faster, and we can do it for you better because we're investing in this technology.
1: So let's talk about Ontario for a sec here. Mm-hmm. Ontario and Canada—if you think of like the North, you know, the NAFTA region, or the Cusma region, or whatever acronym you want to use—we don't have li- uh, Mexico's cheap labor. We don't have the market size of the U.S. Just if you want it built well, you build it in Ontario, and one of the best tools in the belt for ontario i think is industry 4.0 yeah. now i'm hoping that this that this podcast is I'm, i want it to be as accessible for as many people as possible so to that end let's just have a real quick discussion on industry 4.0 for the uninformed mm-hmm. what do you, how can how would you summarize it as efficiently <laughs> as possible
0: well uh so industry 4.0 to summarize the perceived definition of it is basically the interconnection of, of processes together to commonize database, to allow machines, people, processes, and systems to work hand-in-hand with one another to provide information to each other at, a increasingly, uh, at an increasing rate, right? To be able to make decisions faster, to be able to adjust processes on the fly. It's basically everything connected up to a common database to learn off of one another. That's, in my opinion, you know, the layman's way of Industry 4.0.
1: That's a pretty good I, I like that.
0: <laughs> that works. I'm glad we recorded that. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, now the now there's two there's a difference. The idea of Industry 4.0 and the reality of Industry 4.0. Mm. Okay, so okay. this is something I've been a little outspoken about. So um, not all will agree with me, but that's why it's my opinion and my opinion only. So <laughs> gotcha.
1: <laughs> Duly noted.
0: Uh, Industry 4.0 currently, as defined as I just defined it right now, is still a pipe dream for a lot of. A lot of industries a lot of companies the the cost to be able to upgrade every single process every single machine is astronomical and especially when these machines a lot of the new machines coming out that have the native ability to output to these databases that's phenomenal the problem is especially in plastics is that the machine product life cycle is so long in this industry we have presses out back that are over 35 years old that are running you know 24 7 right that have no issues whatsoever. So how do you get industry 4.0 on in those? You have to have retrofit it, right? And when you retrofit it, you're going to be cobbling together in in some sense the the data part of it, right? Right. So now you're going to have a data gap. You have your brand new machines that can send out 10,000, you know, data points per second, and then you have your older machines that still work just fine, but you need to have the full picture for it to be a true industry 4.0 shot. So then you have to deal with the retro side of it. Right. Um and are there a lot of solutions on the marketplace that are that are universal? No, that's been a huge barrier for companies. Are there a lot of solutions on the marketplace that are accessible to the smaller and medium size? They're getting there, but it hasn't been that way for a long time. And so the big industry 4.0 systems have been very cost prohibitive, which have left a sour taste in people's mouth. So now we're in this weird in-between industry 3.0 and 4.0 side of the industry, and it's going to take a very long time to migrate to 4.0. Mm-hmm. But the major thing being... There has to be a huge push to education for this industry, education on cloud what are cloud servers. Why are they important? How are they safer than on-site servers? This is something I deal with almost every single day of my work life. Are they safer than on-site servers? I truly do believe so, yeah. I do. And we'll get into that in a we, second.
1: I'd like to, yeah, because yeah. cyber is a big...
0: Big, big proponent of this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Go on, um, And uh, so there's, there's numerous challenges to overcome, and a lot of the times... Companies small to medium size like Axiom size, at the end of the day, the management team at a company the size of Axiom is really concerned mostly with one thing. How do I get my parts to my customer and how do I get more business? Industry 4.0 unfortunately doesn't take you know priority one, two, three with that conversation alone because it encompasses something directly related to sales rather directly related to production. Because for the most part, the industry's been producing the same parts for years and years. Adding an industry 4.0 system to a lot of people, they don't think that will make the big improvements that it actually really will. So there's a huge gap of information that we still have to overcome, especially in Ontario and especially in Ontario here, where we have so many high-performing AI companies, so many high-performing, uh, even industry 4.0 companies, there's tons of them within a hundred kilometers of smart Attend. So why isn't Ontario's adoption of it higher, right?
1: That's a very good question.
0: Yeah. I don't have the answer, but there's my, <laughs> there's my short version of it. So, uh, ah, that's good. So Mr. Max, Robert, I just want to, I
2: want to expand on what you were just talking about. So hmm, please industry 4.0, uh, perhaps for myself, I, I won't say it's something that I've, uh, embraced, but it is something that is necessary for the industry. You know, uh, I've been at this, uh, for 40 years now, um, June, it'll start my 41st year. So I look at industry 4.0 as a pivotal point in industry where 30 years ago, you had time to think about things, react, but the marketplace moves so fast nowadays that you're no longer able to wait a week or wait two weeks to make a decision, to call a meeting. So the Industry 4.0, even when you call it tied in with Smart Attend or or any kind of data collection gathering, it really helps the leaders of companies make informed decisions in real time. Uh, I was reflecting on this the other day, thinking about how did we do this 20 years ago, um, Industry 4.0 is live data collection. It's it's a digital capture of experience. It may not be physical experience you gather as you're building a mold or you're molding a part or running a, a factory. It's the, the the data that's collected that allows you to react to your customers. It allows you to step into the boardroom and say... We produced a thousand today. We were running at 80 percent capacity. We can get you 1,200 more tomorrow. So it, that allows us to move fact, uh, faster, uh, be more productive, understand the industry. Uh, and it is something that I am starting to use to in Texas advantage, because uh, I rely a lot on my experience to understand can we do it? But then I now have this uh, digital archive because we do some data collection on our machining centers to validate projects. I can look at a specific uh, window of time and say, I know these projects ran at this time, one on this machine, one on that machine, and I can use that to better cost, to better analyze. So Industry 4.0, although at my Time in the career is coming new to me. It is something that I believe is part of the future, and it's a positive
1: part of the future. So, Robert, I'm 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 glad you started that discussion because I was going to actually ask you about that. You've got you just said now about almost four decades of experience. Correct, 41 in June, right? Correct. Canada's molds, Ontario's molds, have gained a very good reputation globally. And to hear that I'm sitting across the table now from someone who has 40 years of experience in this, I would very much like to know. Tell us about what it was like before Industry 4.0. What what, what was your day to day like in 1989? I would say the, pr-
2: the the pressures and the stresses for delivery times, they they've always been there. I would say um, 1989 i I actually enjoyed it a lot more, not saying that i don't like my job now, but i I enjoyed it a lot more back then because there was more time to work collaboratively. How do you work collaboratively when people are g- gathering data and information at a rapid rate and they're making decisions? It takes time sometimes to 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 back up and slow down and that's going to be maybe the hurdle that we have to overcome. We've upped the pace, and it's not really an Ontario or a Canada-related thing. It's a global thing. So you're, you're competing against countries that have uh, low-cost labor. And if we, if we look at that overall thing, 4.0 will help us compete globally globally but it won't help us compete on the cost side of things because we just can't compete against a dollar an hour or people that uh, will work for food. uh, And we don't talk about that a lot, but it is out there. But I think going back to 1989, it was really, even that, I started in 1981. At that time, it was just the early stages of CNC machining, where it was very basic so I've seen this whole evolution I've been trained to do something from a blueprint not even from a digital stage so I've had to see this whole drawing with a a pencil and a ruler on a piece of paper and understanding formulas and calculations with a calculator to everything being digital and will we have our challenges going forward I believe we will um, but it really has come a long way. We we really, I think, turned a corner. Uh, the, the old generation that maybe were reluctant to embrace this technology because they felt it wasn't going to come to fruition, um, they're retired. And now I, I'm one of the sort of in-between people. So I've seen it the old way and I've seeing it the new way now and I want to grab on to the new way. Using my decades of experience how can we take this and make it a new generation thing I can use my experience pass it on to the younger generation and then they have this new tool that they can use to make a better company, to make a better Ontario if you even want to go that way because it is a a hard thing to understand
1: 4.0 so what I'm hearing is industry 4.0 can get you the data faster. Correct? Right? So it's a more accurate immediate snapshot of what's happening on the floor, right? So am I correct in assuming that the information that let's say Rob would have collected in 1989 is the same information that would have been collected with information for, with industry 4.0? The only difference is the speed with which.
2: Oh, absolutely right so in eighty nine we would have gathered data over a project that we built in six months, and now we're gathering the data live live for a project that we're building now and it isn't even complete and we're we're um, factoring in digitally when it's going to be complete and when we can start the next project. But we haven't had time in between there to do a deep dive and an analysis. Of this data, we're just—I I think the 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 speed up in '89. Let's say we would have six months to build a project, and now we have two months to build a project. And there's—it's moving so fast now. Maybe somebody with my experience level can make that on-the-spot decision. But the younger generation that they they don't have that experience, they can't make that on-the-spot decision. So they're going to rely on the data, but the data hasn't been deciphered yet because it's moving so fast.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You yeah. kind of just read my mind there, actually, because <clears throat> if, if the data being extracted is the same, then what's missing is the wisdom. Yeah.
2: That's right. Right? And it will come. I, I, that's why I say I've seen it the old way. Now I'm seeing it the new way, how I can help this transformation is use my 40 years of experience to to help the young people make a, a decision. So we can make that on-the-spot decision, and then I can mentor them behind the scenes, explaining to them why their decision was correct or why their decision was incorrect, even before they decipher the data. I can tell them, decipher the data, and let's talk about this three days from now. The decision is made, right, wrong, or indifferent. But I, I think given another... Ten years and 4.0 will be the driving force behind industry. Um, you know, I have stories, lots of them. Um, one as recent as a year, well, now two years ago. And my last trip to China, we had just recently installed Smart attends on a couple of machines at Intex, and uh, I'm 6 a.m. in the morning watching the sunrise driving across the bridge from Hong Kong to Macau in a bus, and I turn on my phone, push the Smart Attend logo, and I could see live my machines were running. So I just closed my eyes on the bus and enjoyed the ride. And the following day, the owner of the company doing work for us, uh, we actually talked about that because... um, Some factories are embracing 4.0 in China, and some are still doing it just with mass labor input and able to get the throughput there. But he asked about it, and I showed him the application, and and he was very impressed. And, you know, my exposure to 4.0 is very limited. It it revolves around smart attend, but I could make an informed decision two years ago uh, sitting in a hotel room, just via email to my team back home here in Canada. So I was halfway around the world, and it helped me guide my team without even seeing the project, just by some data. Um, that will come for the young generation to, once, they, once they realize and get experience with the data
1: reading it. So Smart Attend enabled you to have a nap on the bus? Correct. I know it sounds funny, but at the same time, it also means that you were rested, you weren't worried about something else, your body wasn't coursing with cortisol, the good old <laughs> stress hormone, right? But as a, in terms of wear and tear yeah. on
0: this gentleman as a piece of equipment, yeah. he was able to take a nap.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. I yeah, actually did. And
0: the and the question I have when whenever this story comes up uh, is, is, I always ask, "What's that worth to you?" Right? Cost versus value. Exactly. Yeah. Um I want
1: to get a little technical here about Smart Attent and the kind of stuff that it monitors cuz I know we're probably going to have there's probably people listening to this who own some of the machines that might so what w- let Talk to me about some of the machines that you've got operating here that uh, that have SmartAtten. What do they do?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, right in this building, this is Axiom Plastics. So, we have 32 injection molding machines out back. Uh, the newest one is a 2020 model. The oldest one, if I remember correctly, is from 81. So um, what Smart Attend, from a technical perspective, is doing out there is it's taking in the data from our auxiliary systems, such as our automation systems, our our hoppers, our material feed systems. And it's also taking in the data from the the machine itself, such as our cycle time, the machine efficiency, the uptime, and the downtime. And it's correlating all of these things together to be able to create this picture for our production dashboard, right? So our dashboard right now, if I were to walk out back or open up my cell phone here it would tell us our cycle time, our uptime, our downtime, how many parts the machine has made, um, what the instances have been, so what the alarms have been and how long those alarms have affected the current production of the the machine. So that's what the dashboard shows us. And then diving into it, we can go and dig a little bit deeper but from a technical perspective we're taking digital inputs we're taking data directly from the auxiliary systems the machines uh, and we're able to take data from the 1981 machine to the 2020 machine so we are one of the mentioned uh, universal app uh, devices out there because we've created our own device we engineered our own device we manufacture the system completely on our own it means we're masters of our own destinies so yeah we're taking a digital uh, data we're taking in some analog data as well, and we're also taking in some processy data from the back end, so machine scheduling, production scheduling, quality, scrap rates. We're taking scrap automatically as well through various different systems, but uh, we're getting a, a live scrap figure as well from the machine. So that was very difficult to achieve, but we've achieved that.
1: Nice. Yeah. Um, so,
0: Rob, real quick question for you.
1: Since you now have access to this turbo stream of data running through your experienced mind, what sorts of insights have you been able to extract from it that you might not have been able to get as quickly that you can share with us? So
2: how how uh, a manufacturing production facility would be using data from 4.0 might be slightly different than how I collect data from the smart attend. I'm more so concerned about having... Uh, my machines running and monitoring my spindle time, so I can make informed decisions that benefit my customers. Uh, because everything is moving fast, the data that we collect is not so much about how many pieces we produce today. Because our 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 project cycles, you know, we might put something on a machine that runs for an hour, and then we'll put a, the next block on there that runs for two and a half or three weeks. But uh, our data collection is more a blend of operator input and uh, machine data collection. So there, there is that still a, a human intervention for our part. But the informed decisions that I can make is you can call me and I could be around the world or I could be sitting at my cottage on the deck Um, but I can make an informed decision with a phone call and feedback from 4.0 data collection, whether I could do a job for you next week or not. So it, 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 it helps me make business decisions, uh, to benefit our company as well, benefit our customers. Um, so like you're more comfortable saying yes to someone. Correct. Because I, I can see the uptime. I can, I, I, we we track in a different light. Our data collection, I would say, probably helps us schedule rather than monitor quantities produced. Uh, so I can make a phone call and say, how many hours was that machine to run and how complete is it? And the, all I need to know is the hours run and completion shows me via my app. We're 80% complete. I can do the the quick calculation of math. Um, maybe that's something I'm going to ask you for a a calculator (laughs) built into smart. Anyway, no, that's just a joke there, but, um, I can make that decision and say, okay, yeah, we're going to be finished on Tuesday. You know, I can give you your project for Friday of next week. So it really, it is a scheduling tool. It is a, a, a valuable tool. And then it also helps guide our teams and, and, uh, help improve our productivity Without putting too much pressure on the people, you can you can plainly show them the data and say, "Okay, we have 24 hours in a day," um, and and open it, it. It creates a a point of conversation. Some people may not like data collection because they're on the receiving end of the "Why didn't it run?" Uh, once once people can get calmer and get through that hurdle. They just take the data for what it is. It's a fact. We have 24 hours in a day. The machine ran for eight. The manager will come in and ask the why. Uh, In the production environment that Smart Attend runs, the answers are there on the table. In our one-off scenarios in building a tool, it's not there. So you need to ask those questions um, and and people are reluctant. They think you're trying to pressure them to work harder and faster. This is a great tool to gather information and say, okay, we don't need more setup technicians. We need automation. The setup technician is waiting for the machine to finish, and then he's scrambling, but his shift is over. Now he needs to transfer information to the next setup technician, uh, and then he has to take over and finish off that setup. So there's there's a lot of things that create a negative impact in productivity. So it's a really 4.0 for 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 myself. It helps me make informed decisions. It's not a a productivity driver. It how how do we position our business to be successful?
0: Yeah, I think there there's also I'd uh, just like to jump in real quick that uh You know, there's also another piece of it in there that, uh, you know, say this is back to 1989 and at the risk of sounding like I'm postulating a question just to have a favorable answer, that's not the case because (laughs) this is a conversation, not a sales pitch. But I think there's something else that has to be discussed with this, which is the aspect of you have a small owner, you have a small shop, you know, family owned business back in 1989. How would you go and make sure that you know the mold that you're cutting, the steel that you're cutting through the weekend is still cutting? Well, you'd have to probably leave home. Rob, correct me if I'm wrong, but you'd you'd have to do a manual check. You'd have to be at the shop. You'd have to take a look, or you'd have to, you know, phone whoever would be there. And if it's a small business, probably no one would be there, right? So, so how how does how, how would Industry 4.0 now allow you a different perspective on your personal and family time if you were the owner of a shop back in 1989? Well, in 1989, I would say that the equipment and the
2: technology that was out there uh, was not ready for Industry 4.0. They they were manual machines. It was just the the beginning of CNC and uh, automation and and high-volume production. You know, 30, 40 years ago, when you were running a 20-second cycle time or an 18-second cycle time on a 64-cavity a cap mold, you were flying. And nowadays, you're down to, in some cases, sub-three-second uh, in-mold decorating to finish product. So y- you you can't even collect that information manually. So I would say back then, there there was no other possibility then to actually be there live and to be working your factory around the clock staffed. So did I have 4.0 in a, in a way back then? Yes, I, I did have that, but it was called a landline where you picked up the phone, you called your lead hand and you said, how's it going? And he said, great. Or he said, horrible. We just broke the last cutter and we can't continue. Uh, what are you supposed to do at ten o'clock at night? So, uh, a lot of things follow through, just in the evolution with what's come through with computers and and smartphones and all of that, and it, it will be the way of the future. I I I have to embrace it. I have no other choice. And the young people that are reluctant or or think that it it's used for CEOs of corporations to drive them harder, that drive their employees harder is only 10% of the equation. The, the data collection and, and the information to make informed decisions, business decisions, is 90% of the reason to collect that data.
1: So is it fair to say that rather than driving the employees harder, rather than revving the engine higher, Industry 4.0 kind of allows us to shift gears to a higher gear?
2: Yeah, it does. It really does.
1: Yeah, because I think yeah, I mean it's it's not. I mean I, I've I've visited a few shops. Mm-hmm. I, I've I've seen. I've talked to several owners. It's it, a lot of the owners that I speak with. It's not about grinding the people down. They want they they want to be able to extract the useful product from their floor and get it out there faster. But I actually do want to talk about people for a sec. I want to talk about the human factor of uh, 4.0 going back Rob to your nap because and, uh, not, not to mock you. To yeah. Mock you. I'm a sleepy old guy. <laughs> no, but like, but, it, but seriously, like the, the fact that you were able to chill on the bus, I I, I want to learn more about like how, how can we use 4.0 to alleviate some of that? Str- I don't know. Shannon, do you want to set up a question here? Because I feel like I'm just kind of guessing because I know you've got notes.
3: Well, yeah, I do. And I think it's really, first of all, thanks for actually going through industry 4.0 and what that is. Um, I think a lot of times when I hear it discussed, I only have a very hazy understanding of exactly what it is. So it's always good to hear what that looks like on the ground or in practice.
1: You're from HR, right?
3: I Yes, I worked in HR at the Chrysler Brampton Assembly Plant. So. You're not
1: a nerd like me, are you? <laughs> no,
3: well, not that much of a nerd. Okay, yeah, so. Yeah, so. But I really, really liked what, um, what, Robert, what you were mentioning about kind of sharing tacit knowledge and the importance of mem- uh, mentorship. So something that I wanted to touch on was first how you build your teams. So the practice of building and developing your teams. So how is that done? Sure,
0: Rob. You want to start? Go ahead. Okay. So uh, from the from the perspective of Smart Attend, uh, so uh, myself, I was employee number one of Smart Attend. Just to get that out there. So I was tasked with building the team. So the team at Smart Attend is you know a labor of love and and. I mean, uh, I think one of the most important things as a manager is being, uh, is being passionately compassionate, right? And uh, I have staff members of mine that are a, a wide range of ages. Um, I have, uh, you know, very experienced personnel and I have very young personnel. You know, you know, you know the younger personnel um, are a mix of, of foreign students who have moved to Canada to start a life for themselves uh, a, a mix of, of, you know, Canadian kids who are getting into the software industry. Um, but one of the, my major things is, is that uh, at the end of the day, these, res- these employees are my responsibility. And it's my responsibility that I put them in a position where their careers are going to be built in such a way that they're going to be able to maximize their natural skill set and talents. So one of the major things that I focus on as a manager, deeply getting to know my employees very much right getting to know why did they choose the career that they did why did they even come to smart intent why did they apply what is it about this industry what do they want to know what do they want to learn uh and, and so on and so forth and really taking a, a, a methodical approach to working with them as people not as tools not as employees you know with with the connotation that they're there to, to do a job that i tell them to do and that did. and if they don't do it they're not getting paid screw that right they're people i'm a person I have to make sure that their personal life is top of mind for me because i don't believe that an an employee can be effective at work if they have a terrible home life right and so when this pandemic hit um i uh, i I took pride in in offering to drive my employees groceries to their house some of them who are who are living by themselves with their parents are on the other side of this planet and they're younger than 25. I took that on as my responsibility to make sure that they were looked after, that they were, that they were here and that number one, more, than, more important than anything, that they're here to learn. Because the more my employees learn, the better company we can be. And so continuous education is a massive piece for it. But I wanna bring it back to that phrase. I think to be an effective manager in 2021, you have to be passionately compassionate about your employees and you have to make sure that their well-being is top of mind for yourself and that they know that. Because if they know that, then the teamwork and loyalty is, is unmatched in any other strategy as a manager I've tried in any of my previous positions before.
1: Kim Tiara said almost the exact same thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, good.
3: About how in order to keep your team and continue building your team, yeah. people need to be passionate about what it is that they're doing. Yeah, I liked what you mentioned about. Essentially, in so many words, helping them kind of shape a roadmap for their careers and also mm-hmm. their lives outside of work. Something that keeps coming up when we're speaking to manufacturers and even industry associations is need, they're needing to be a, a gap bridged for engaging youth within manufacturing and Absolutely. helping them become enthusiastic about that. Right? Well, that,
2: that that's exactly where I was going to go. So if you sort of look at a timeline, when I started in this industry the delivery times were were quite I won't say favorable it's really not the right way to put it, but we had time to take on young people and and there's there's so many different factors in this this whole uh, question that you asked The education system really is not in tune with manufacturing uh, to the same shape or form that it was when I went to school. And that is slowly being caught up. We build our team one player at a time. We look at what another company has called heart count. If the person's heart is in the job, if they really come to work passionate and want to learn something, that information transfer is very easy, and you can build a, a valuable team member in a very short period of time. So getting the right heart for the job is key, and then you can develop them. Now, the, the it's, it's really difficult because we're talking about Industry 4.0. The industry is moving so fast there is the delivery times have become so short there is no real time to develop your team to really really focus and this has been a discussion of axiom group for in the tooling division at least and even in the production facility for several years now on how we do this the the Key members, the, the the old guard, the people with years of experience, they're being pushed so hard now because everything is compressed timing. So we're almost being driven back to working. And I think if if industry somehow would slow down, just pull it out of overdrive for a little bit to allow our North American market to maybe help mentor the young people and bring them into this industry, we might have an easier time. We have no other choice but to invest in young people, hope that they are going to stay with the company after they've been developed. And there are a lot of companies out there specifically in tooling. They've set up their own in-house training center and they run candidates through a boot camp if you want to call it that for 90 days they're there for 90 days and there's a seasoned veteran probably with my experience and maybe even more mentoring and training these young kids they are productive while they're there they're doing the the entry level work and they're being graded and judged on it and then if you pass that boot camp you get a job in the career. So companies are struggling to find and introduce young talent in there and just like 4.0 is evolving, so is the workforce. You have to now ramp up your speed. You can't wait any longer. And then and then you have it, it, that's a really difficult question to answer. We we have struggles to be able to Maintain our workforce right now and introduce young people because there is no time to do that.
0: I, I think Canada and Ontario, for manufacturing specifically, is dealing with a bit of a brain drain right now, and it's really disappointing to see because I think that we have such, <laughs> if we have such a such a it's such a huge roster of talented, smart young people who 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 you know for for the listeners who maybe. Having a difficult time understanding what it's like to be uh, a, a millennial, such as myself, in this industry. One thing that that I always find exciting um, is the fact that all these young people that I've hired for Smart Attend that I've talked to within this industry that I see, not even enter this industry, leave and go to a different one. Every single one of them grew up with technology in their hand. Every single one of them grew up with a smartphone, with the ability to have Wikipedia on the on the home page. Of that smartphone and be able to very quickly just hey how does you know what what's Newton's you know third law of thermodynamics and just go and learn and that is such an important aspect that does not get referenced enough because these kids you know coming out of of school have so much knowledge on so many random little pieces of topics and me I I I I, uh, am proud of this myself but it's because we grew up with so much access to information. There's a lot of lessons in there that a lot of professionals today can learn from these very talented and bright young kids. Sure, they have a different way of going about things, but what's wrong with that, right? And uh, uh, so for reference sake, we need to do more in Ontario to get kids and younger people focused on manufacturing. I grew up watching How It's Made on Discovery Channel. Love that show. Love it, right? Love it. I had no clue I was going to end up in manufacturing, but I'm surrounded by technology, automation, robots, machines, i'm a you know i'm a mechanical car guy i love racing i love motorsport i love formula one and so this weekend this weekend's first race that's love right it. in bahrain Damn and, right. Uh, <laughs> and uh and uh and so to be surrounded by that level of technology is amazing uh and but to see so many young people choose uh a career path that so many have already chosen you know no no disrespect towards the, uh, the lawyers in the world the accountants in the world and everything but there's a huge career that's very well-paying that's extremely exciting Right here. I am used to sit on the Future Leaders in Plastics Board, uh, the committee board of the United States uh, Plastics Industry Association. I was the vice chair of the committee for a year straight. Uh, and that committee was created to help Americans join the, the uh, manufacturing industry, right? I joined the American one because there was no Canadian equivalent. Is there one now? No, still isn't. And, and that program in the States provide grants to universities to bring people out to manufacturing day, which allowed universities, high schools to tour manufacturing centers to meet these professionals, right? To get a career path started in this industry. Um, You know, bless the Canadian Plastics Industry Association. They do a fantastic job. Unfortunately, the membership isn't there, right? And then even with the current membership, there isn't, you know, in my opinion, an industry-wide focus on getting more younger people into this. So, my question to all the the listeners on this podcast is: How do we fix this problem? How do we solve the age gap in Canadian manufacturing? Because right now we have that problem, we don't have a good solution, in my opinion, for it.
1: Yeah, and I think what you said just now: the the United States they brought this event to the children and the parents, right? Correct. There it is, parents. Yeah. In our in our talks, we've realized that one of the biggest barriers to more young people getting involved is the parents
0: Mm.
1: not to I'm not knocking them it's Mm. just a lot of them are still stuck in the mentality of the 70s where a manufacturing job is dirty dark and dangerous Mm. I think anyone taking a stroll across this shop floor would immediately see that that is not the case but that stigma I think I, 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 I think it can like Mike Rowe talks about this a lot and he's saying how the, the, the people think that, oh, you got to go to university and get a degree and this. I went to university. I got a degree. I didn't study audio engineering. I didn't study most of the things that I'm good at now. You have to get them at a, at a much younger age. And yeah. Until absolutely. the parents, until the parents finally get that, that it's like, oh, hey, start this job. And within three months, you got benefits. Within two years, you're saving, you're, you're tossing money away for your RRSPs. That message isn't getting through.
0: I 100% agreed, and I'm going to tell the listeners right now this is something that I don't think I've actually said publicly once before. And you know, I'm an example right now of the opportunities that exist within manufacturing. I did not go to university, hmm. right? And I am, and I'm actually younger than 30 years old, but I'm a general manager now of a company because purely because it's a forward-thinking company, but. I was just given a chance. and I just took it and ran with it. Yeah. How many chances there exist today in manufacturing? There is careers out there that are very well paying right out of the gate and they're numerous. Uh, so why not focus on that? Parents. Right. Yeah.
3: Something that keeps uh, coming up. When we talk about young people, people are usually focused on post-secondary.
0: Mm. Yeah.
3: And there really does need to be a focus high school and maybe even younger to kind of help demystify what manufacturing is now so yeah uh, do, basically manufacturing needs some pr help essentially
1: yeah and that's kind of our job here at trillium mm-hmm. um we're here to promote and to kind of lubricate the gears of the advanced manufacturing ecosystem through conversations like this and others so we've now been chatting for around are the corner on uh 53 minutes so I, I do want to be cognizant of the time. I do appreciate the fact that you've given us an hour. Can I just quickly jump in on that yeah, uh, please, please. comment about
2: manufacturing dingy, dark, and dirty, and yep. scary, and dangerous? And you know, I, I, I sort of have to reflect on my life. My parents were immigrants after World War II. My dad came here basically with nothing. Um, he was a draftsman before that he, Uh, He was working in a factory. And uh, when he came to Canada, he worked hard. He actually got beat up a few times by the police because he couldn't speak English. Uh, But he managed to amount to two successful children, myself, in the manufacturing industry. I I was a business owner in the past uh, and now decided to join... Uh, with a larger company so that I could share with many talented people and try and develop um, in the Ontario marketplace a company that would uh, bring value to manufacturing and maybe hold on to it. But going back to that thought process, um, my, my parents ended up with two houses and two successful children. And uh we were never pressured into uh university or trade uh, we were pressured into and I, pressured is not not the right word we were mentored and told to do something that is going to make you happy and i i think there's a real difficult decision that the young people have to face if you want to grow up in the big city we're in close to toronto 20 Thirty minutes north of Toronto, uh, you're you're looking at a small apartment at over a million dollars, uh, with a three hundred and fifty thousand dollar down payment, and people just can't afford that. And a manufacturing job, although it is stable, doesn't allow people to thrive there. So there there's a lot of different reasons I would say why parents push their children to a professional career rather than a manufacturing career. And then it starts going into the politics and the way our government supports manufacturing. Uh, They don't really uh, support, let's say the Toronto area in the same light that they would support Northern Ontario or the Windsor uh, corridor. Windsor, Really, really get supported because it is a hub, but I compete against Windsor on a regular basis, and I can beat them out in delivery, but get zero support from the government. So we're always lagging behind. Up un up up until a year ago, we applied for several grants and and product uh, innovation grants, and even subsidies, and we were told flat out, you don't fit the the demographic map. So I I think our government has to work on that and then maybe talk to industry professionals with years of experience to develop something that will help stabilize and, and keep our industry moving as opposed to having our children follow maybe a career path that doesn't make them happy, but puts a roof
1: over their head. Oh, and and you just reminded me speaking of governments. um, Didn't Axiom recently uh, win an award or was awarded a project?
0: Yeah, we were awarded a project. The project um, was uh, for the zero transition uh, plastic uh, procurement process. And it was an engine uh project i believe for uh advanced manufacturing there was also i think more in relation to a grant that was applied for about a year ago which just came into fruition now uh we did we were awarded another one i think that was published in the automotive parts manufacturer association of canada
1: right on yeah so in our in our conversations over this podcast we've discussed a few times uh what what it's like for women on the shop floor, especially of a manufacturing plant. Um, I've come to understand how it can be challenging for a lot of women because, Shannon, you want to help me out?
3: Because it's a very manufacturing in general and the plants that you enter, there is a culture of this is a man's workspace, a culture of masculinity essentially. And If you are on the fringes of that or outside of that, you'll feel like an outsider or not as comfortable.
1: Yeah. And it's a very subtle, like it's, it's not, it's not something that I saw. I, and I've had this kind this was the previous podcast with Kim. I'm like, as a guy, I was the only guy. I was the only white guy in a room full of women. Yeah. And I didn't feel anything. I was like, all right, whatever. Whereas if you're a woman and you're the only woman surrounded by guys, there is the very real potential that is, oh yeah, I am other. I am that word. I am other. Yeah. And it, it's 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 like one of those slow leaks, yeah. On your character, you know what I mean. It's just it's a slow drip. Yeah,
0: I know. Yeah, and, and uh, so my wife is is in HR as well, right? Okay. So that's uh, an important thing to mention. And uh, I will say this that as a man, uh, I I don't understand that, but I understand yeah. that I. Can't understand it,
1: and that's I think the best we can do right now.
0: Yeah, and and so, but but being but recognizing the need, the absolute priority to create an environment where everybody feels safe, where everybody feels accepted, where nobody feels singled out based on gender, based on age, based on race, based on anything, that is so important because I've had to do this once, and and I have, you know, some of my staff members are from different ethnicities, and I've been in a scenario where I had a customer who was being, you know. Questionably racist And openly rude to them And so I just pulled them Out of the shop Pulled the business Said sorry Here's your money back I don't want anything To do with you Good for you Uh, But that's my job As a manager To create a safe environment For my staff And that's our jobs. Robert and I And the other managers Of Axiom is Is to maintain that um, and I actually bring this back to my racing experience. So you know, I said already I'm a fan of racing, but I spent 20 years as a semi-professional racer and in some points in my life a professional racing in Ferrari Challenge and different other uh, race cars when i was younger how so, have we not talked about this yet <laughs> <laughs> well it's only so much time let's, let's, yeah, let's, I, different no, podcast no, yeah right
3: because i was just about to say you wanted to ask about how like running a race team yes. is yes, similar yes that to to
0: yes absolutely yeah. i'd love to talk about that uh so but one of the virtues of motorsport is is very rare in the sporting world is that uh men and women compete together and it, to the point where it's not even really Mentioned. It's not like oh this you know oh yeah th- in today's race we've got you know the the men are starting at noon and the women are starting at one p.m. I tell you something when that helmet goes on you don't care right yeah. and and it's not yeah. like it's not like the the stereotypes where you know uh, like one gender is a better driver than the other. I've lost tons of races every guy has lost a a huge race like in las vegas or in you know lanato italy or something to like three or four women who just kick ass right right? and they do uh and that's one of the best parts about racing is that you sort of naturally grow up in an environment where you don't really care about the gender because as soon as that helmet goes on that visor comes down yeah you have no idea who it is or what it is and there's no perceived performance difference right and so just when i became a manager that's the same thought process there's no performance difference between one gender or another there's no perceived difference in my opinion from one person to another other than personalities so why would i pick and choose based on gender um my i believe my organization is better because of that belief and like
1: and like racing, yeah. All that really matters once you put the helmet on is the result. That's right. What place are you in?
0: Yeah. That's it. You know, and there's only one winner. Right? Yeah, and, yeah. like, and like manufacturing, you know, there's always gonna be the top benchmark. There's always gonna yep. be the Michael Schumacher of the manufacturing world, right? Or the or the Aird Senna of it, right? um and even in motorsport it's no different than running well it's a little different for sure but <laughs> it's but it's uh, it's very similar i mean we're at axiom what do we want to do we want to be better how do we become better we use data right like yep. every company should um and because in the racing world how do you become faster right collect you, that telemetry you gotta collect the telemetry you know uh, when you're comparing one driver versus another, driver number two breaks 10 feet deeper into turn number three and he comes out five kilometers faster. Well, guess what? Driver number two is faster than you. So what are you going to do? You're going to argue that, you know, that that guy isn't doing it right or this or that, or are you just going to look at the data and just identify what you got to do and then do that? Yep. That's all it is, right? And and so there's a lot to learn from the world of Formula One in the t- in the sense that, the data that they use is specific per job function. So the driver, they look at the driver data. They look at when they brake, when they hit the gas, when they turn the steering wheel, how much they turn the steering wheel, what their driving line is, so on and so forth. They don't really care too much about the, you know, the the air fuel mixture ratio second by second, their fuel flow rate going into the engine, right? That's the engine builder's job. Because if they get into that, then they get into something known as paralysis by analysis. Yes. Right? is so, what happened
1: to Pierre Gasly when he was racing at uh, Red Bull?
0: <laughs> well, a lot happened to Pierre Gasly when he was <laughs> racing at Red Bull. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but the main point being is that to improve, you must collect the data. Yes. But more importantly, it, there's a lot to learn of what data you look at. Because if you try to look at all of it, are you going to really know to break 10 feet deeper by looking at your air-fuel mixture ratio? Right. Yeah. As in, are you really going to be able to schedule you know, your upcoming jobs Uh, better based on an arbitrary piece of information, like how much is in your accounts receivable, right? Right. No, but there are pieces of information you can use, such as, you know, what is my uh, uh, quoted cycle time versus my actual cycle time? If I quoted 35 seconds and I'm hitting 35 seconds, well, then I know when my job's going to finish, right? Just like for driver. Driver looks at driver data, engineer looks at engineer data, production manager looks at production manager data, that creates a better company overall. I like it.
3: So across the board, there's an understanding that if you can't measure something, you can't really manage it the way that you really need to. Absolutely, you Absolutely. love that line, don't I you? I do. I do. I to, use it all the manage, time. To <laughs> manage, you
0: must measure, right? Yeah. And uh, you know, instincts go only so far. Right? That's true. That's instincts very true. Instincts only really go so far. So, yeah, this was a lot of fun.
1: This was yeah, this was a great chat. I I really appreciate again you having us and actually hosting us mm-hmm. physically here in the, in your boardroom. And again, just for everyone listening, if you hear us talking, we're talking into pop screens.
0: <laughs> socially distanced. We are course. socially distanced. We get audited often here at Active, so we must follow the rules.
1: Yeah, and I am happy to report that we are we are very socially distanced, and the pop screens that our guests are using are metal, which will be washed off with mm-hmm. hand sanitizer. So yeah, we've uh, we just got to get it done.
0: Absolutely. So uh, could I uh, could I plug? uh for the last tiny bit here am i you allowed to just please yeah up? absolutely awesome. all right so yeah so anyways for anyone listening on the call today i mean if you've never heard of axiom group google us we're a very interesting company very exciting we're always building always working on something new some stuff you'll hear about in the coming months that i can't even talk about right now but Ooh. it's another addition into the cool things that we work on that have nothing to do with our perceived core value but we do it because we like to learn so nice. uh, part of that Go to www.smartatend.com to learn more about us. We are a truly universal industry 4.0 solution based out of Canada, but we are found on four out of the five continents across the world. We're a Canadian owned and managed business, and we love opening our doors and showing people around our factory. So if you're interested in learning and manufacturing, and you want to come visit and see what we do, Please, by all means, uh, Nick, you can post my contact details once you post this podcast. I'd love for any high school students, college students, whoever, to reach out to myself. If you want a tour of a factory, send me a message on LinkedIn. Come on over, and I'll happily show you around.
1: I am happy to amplify that message. Thanks, everyone.
0: Yeah, thanks a lot, everyone. Thank you, guys.